I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Average Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm doing better. You know, I got home from work just so we could do this recording and I was starving. So as you can see in the room, in the pod room, I brought us some treats. She brought in a giant, she called it family size, uh, container of uh, Pringles. It's Carl. It's called a party stack. <laughs> and um, I'm just saying it kind of brings a party. It does. So it if brings a party. If you guys hear any chewing, oh. crunching, that's me and my Pringles. I also have two boxes of Girl Scout cookies. I mean, what would a podcast be without Girl Scout cookies? Listen, they're not sponsoring us, but I wish they would because I've already spent like $30 on Girl Scout cookies and it's only been available for like three days. So you want the not-for-profit Girl Scouts to sponsor a podcast? I'm just saying I could be, I mean, I'm wearing a Diet Coke sweater. (laughs) You got to see the sweater that Denise has on today. It is Loud and Proud Diet Coke DC, which is Denise Cooper. right. It's DC, uh, Pringles plus Diet Coke plus Girl Scout cookies equals true joy. Or diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) Or diabetes or sugar coma and I'm never sleeping at night. (laughs) I wonder why you have sleep problems. I wonder why I have sleep problems. It could be the caffeine and chocolate. I don't know. (laughs) But we are here and we're excited. Yeah, we're very excited about our next guest. I'm going to let Denise introduce him since she is most familiar with our guest. Who do we have on today? Well, he is somebody that has really changed the trajectory of our family. So I know that's a weird introduction, but his name is John Cunningham. I like to call him Yoda. And I know I know that that's not going to go well for Disney. And I don't mean the real Yoda. So nobody ask me for like money for whatever. So welcome, John Cunningham, also known as Yoda. Thank you. It's nice to be here today. Thank you. you Thank you for taking the time and us figuring out how to get you. You're not in studio with us. You are um, across the on the other end of the state, on on the the north end of the state. state. Uh, And we did this so that we could get him on here because of COVID. We just it's just not been working out for us. But we're finally glad you're here. Mm -hmm. And. my introduction didn't do you justice. John and I are familiar with each other because for the last, what, three years, John? At least three, but we first met in 2013. Yes, we first met in 2013. And, and that introduction, I think it, it's worth talking about because uh, we a mutual friend of ours uh, introduced us as somewhat of a, not a request, but as a, you must talk to this man if you want to work with me. And at the time I met John, during that time, our business was really struggling. And I felt as if I, first of all, I didn't want to be in business any longer. I didn't want my kids to even be working for my business at that time because it just felt like it was such a heavy weight that we were, that we were experiencing. We had a couple companies, one in particular, that didn't pay us a large sum of money, which literally almost put us out of business. And all I could see at that time was what was in front of me, which was this doom and gloom, like, how are we going to get through this? I don't want to lose my house. And anybody who owns a business literally can understand what I'm talking about, because it's not it's it's something that happens to a lot of us that are in business. You're just making it year by year. And that's kind of what was going on at the time that we met John. I didn't know what to expect. And the first thing that he asked us to do was kind of visualize where we wanted to be between now and our retirement, because we're at that age where that's what you have to start thinking about. And you should be thinking about it even sooner. But as we were talking about that, the one thing that really stood out to me that John emphasized was you can't wait 
till the end to enjoy your life and be happy. And so that is the introduction I'm going to give you. And from here, I'm going to ask you, John, to kind of tell the audience and tell us what you do exactly. How do you describe yourself? Well, that's a very difficult thing to actually, I've often said, I can't really give justice to what I do. I can only tell you what I've done. Okay. Um, and, and just to kind of piggyback on your story uh, for your family and your family business, you, you raised a few things. So maybe I'll work in reverse rather than, you know, you know, uh, how well I did in eighth grade or something like that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is working with uh, financial advisors to help families with wealth transfer so that wealth passed from one generation to the next doesn't harm the next generation because it's very difficult for a succeeding generation who did not earn their money or earn the money or earn the wealth, earn their blessings to steward it well. And certainly to steward it in a way that doesn't harm them. Um, And it's one thing if they're just say inheriting assets and money, it's a whole nother dynamic when the family asset is a family business and the next generation is actually coming in and learning and earning inside the family business, growing the family business as well. What's challenging about that? The challenge when you're working with a um, wealth wealth transfer when uh, the next generation is actually becoming a part of the family business is then you get into not just running the business, but we kind of have to deal with family dynamics. Uh, How does how does and you'll recognize this how do mommy and daddy move to business partner with their kids and how do the kids see mommy and daddy as business partners not mommy and daddies right and and it's it's not that how do we avoid family dynamics it's they're come they're going to come at us how do we name them and how do we move them in a healthy uh, mature direction so that's, that's kind of the basis of how you and I met Denise, but that builds upon my career as a, a clinician, as a marriage and family therapist. Uh, and I've worked in, you know, I, I earned my stripes and earned uh, a lot of my skill sets from some very obscure places. Uh, <laughs> Such as? Um, those obscure places you wouldn't have expected that uh, working in special education as a Special ed teacher with severely emotionally disturbed children hmm. would would kind of set the path for how to work with complicated situations. Sure, I never even thought of that. And that led to me working with rival gangs, uh, gang members who were placed in Reading at the schools in Reading mm-hmm. from Southern California. Uh, and uh, they placed them in group homes because it was the largest group home per capita county in the state at that time. And so rather, because the schools decided that it wouldn't be a good good idea to send the gang members to public school, so they created their own court school and put them all in the same place. (laughs) What can go wrong with that? Yeah, what could go wrong? So that was my work is to work with rival gangs in group therapy and to use, to get, to, to work with them required me to sneak up on them in the use of actually art, stories, music, uh, and poetry. Uh, it was fascinating to watch what would happen with those uh, very distressed people coming from distressed environments by using the arts. Wow. And, and then that, you know, all along I was in a, you know, t- more traditional clinical practice, you know, as a psychotherapist. Um, and I branched out into working with financial advisors probably 15 years ago. Uh, and the reason for that is I discovered is in psychotherapy, if you want to get to somebody's core issues, the fastest way to get there is through four subjects, one of four subjects. Which are? 
Those four subjects are death, children, money, or sex. Mm. Any one of those, any one of those subject matters, people's dynamics emerge. So and, you're saying like their true self comes out when when those any of those four subjects sort of come into play. Their unconscious patterns come out. There you go. And okay. and you tend to have similar unconscious patterns moving through all four of those subjects. And so the reason that apply to the financial service industry is financial advisors have a fiduciary responsibility to address money, death and children, but they have no training for that. Right. Yeah, right. they, sh- they should be psychotherapists. Right. Well, they have no training for the dynamics that are going to pop up Yeah. on, on those. So, that's, you know, so I began to coach financial advisors and then helping them with their... I mean, most of the families I work with, even today, don't even know I'm in the picture because I'm behind the advisor. Oh, so you're working directly with the advisor who's working with... The family or the couple, whoever needs the financial advice. Correct. And then with Denise's situation, the advisor says um, the family, this family is ready to have somebody work directly with them because of the mm-hmm. complexities. And really, the health of your family, Denise, is, is, is really why I could come in. Is there, there was a place to move forward with some situations. There really isn't. Oh, so you're saying if as we just parse out Denise's life with her sitting in front of us. Uh, So you're saying that Denise's family dynamic was healthy enough that you could see there was the ability to grow. Correct. So there's some situations that you encounter that you're like, these people, this is never going to happen. It's never going to work. Well, think about Thanksgiving. I try not to. How many... How how many families really... Please don't make us go there. How many families do well at Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at at Cooper Engineering, it's Thanksgiving every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And, and so do they like each other? Uh, and do they, how, how, under stress, do they, you know, make things work or, or do they look to make things better? And her family, they really do make look to make things better. You know, it was a choice. Uh, Jim told us that in order for him to work with us at all would mean that he needed we needed to work with John. It's it's not worth it to me on any level to not be able to have a relationship with my family. And one of the key things that we started with if you'll remember and this is true in any kind of healing or therapeutic situation is the business that you were in when we started together I would say to you the business you're running now is not the business you will be passing along. That's right. So bringing in the next generation into creativity and into ownership, into the bigger outcome of what's possible, where we were moving a business from supporting one family to now three or four, maybe even five families, is 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 a whole different business. But the journey f- from here to there requires a deeper understanding of each uh, individual's gifts and quirks mm-hmm. and and um, a tenderness with each other coupled with some fortitude and how to be forceful with each other in a healthy way. And we struggle with that, but it's those struggles that um, I can help because I can more often than not be ahead of what's happening mm-hmm. rather than mo- many families when something you know blows up it, everybody blows apart rather than okay now the work really begins so if someone comes to you like the Coopers and I don't mean to just base this on airing their no, <laughs> la- you, business laundry but if someone comes to you and says, okay, we're, we're going to hand off our family business and blah, blah, blah. What's the first line that you sort of give them? What's the first thing that you're looking for to tell them in order to start even thinking about transitioning your business to your children? Um, it's not what I tell them. 
It's what I get them to tell me. <laughs> See? Oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> I'm in pain already. <laughs> and I'm not even working with you. This is why I call him Yoda. So uh, you get a you get a vibe. Not I mean that's well, no, I can tell you specifically. I, I have mm-hmm. to get them to tell me uh, for the sake of what would be we would we work together and for what value structure are they standing in and do they know what their value structure is because from their value structure then they can actually chart a reasonable outcome to where they want to go rather than help us avoid a disaster that's not what i do okay when john first started with us his his uh one thing he said is the business of family and the family business are two different things what we're talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes if you think of those two circles sometimes they are side by side and sometimes they sit right on top of each other right yeah it's like they intersect a a lot it's a bubble map yeah going back to the sixth grade where (laughs) they have a lot of things in common and sometimes they don't have anything in common at all let's talk a little bit about family of origin and why that's so important so john explain because i'm new to this whole conversation what is the family of origin okay well it's really i appreciate denise being able to offer up her own family and her own business and our work together as a way to to make it real and live uh rather than just academic and um so if you think about and and i've said this to the cooper family uh, which is you know what got us here won't get us there meaning the outcomes that they're after and what got us here are family dynamics you could say that family origin patterns and there are many kinds of patterns that get that move into play from biology uh, circumstance uh, and psycho- psychological personalities. And so all those factors uh, move together. Much of what cha- uh, uh, dictates kind of the pattern of the family origin has to do with circumstance and conditions. So it's easy to say if, if you grew up in a home where there was um, safety and plenty of you know time with mom and dad and kids and uh, you know that that things weren't kind of left you know that's that creates one kind of dynamic meaning the expectation from the children if you grew up in poverty where there was danger and scarcity of of food that creates a whole nother kinds of expectations and behavior patterns in all the in, in individuals and those behavior patterns from the home we grew up in the birth order, because if you hadn't noticed, the first, second, and third are different, and 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 it's, some of it just has to do with the timing that they came in. Some of it's gender, uh, some of it's introvert versus extrovert, the way they process stress. So all that stuff comes into play, and in order for us to survive, we develop strategies, and these strategies develop patterns. And these patterns start to inter- interlock and everybody agrees that this is the way we do things. And sometimes that's functional. Sometimes Thanksgiving is a disaster <laughs> b- b- because of how these things have interlocked. And, and so when it comes to helping a family move forward in a business or any other circumstance, it's really in- imperative that uh, we spend some time helping people look at first themselves, what was their experience in the family? And often we find from the children, they all say, wow, it feels like I grew up in a different family. Because mm-hmm. everybody has a different outlook and experience level. They entered the family at a different context. Mm. Right. And And so... And so then, and then the family as a system, meaning almost a single entity, starts to pull all the pieces together and create a survival program for the family system. It's just like nature. Mm-hmm. And so we develop this family of origin pattern, uh, 
and we tend to unconsciously overlay it on the rest of our lives without knowing it. And often the fir- one of the early disruptions in our family of origin pattern is when we get married and we figure out her family or his family does it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> of course they do. Right. It, it, it is really true. I mean, when you, are, when you are shown a different family and they do things differently, that's the first time really that you are exposed to such a big difference. And you got to learn how to deal with it. Or let's add the other layer. When I first got involved... Um, your sons were not married, but That's right. now they're married. Oh my, there's a change. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Right. That's and, and it's good things. It's not necessarily negative things. And the family of origin isn't a bad thing, right? It's just a real thing. It's just what it is. Right. But, but what can happen is that the family of origin patterns can be so entrenched in terms of this is the best way to do it or if I have to change I don't know how to change and and it's the entrenchment of patterns that can cause conflict upset and uh, a bad Thanksgiving mm-hmm. yeah. yeah can well so just adding to that can you give us an example of something like that where there's a cycle i'll use my wife and i that's probably the safest place to go (laughs) okay um i was not aware that my family when we get together we we talk really loud and we interrupt each other okay well (laughs) so what then your wife had to point that out to you after the first thanksgiving you spent together with your family no in my wife's family of origin if you interrupted somebody you got smacked (laughs) so did you get smacked and so you know in my family we thought it was love and engagement by just being interrupting people and going going finishing other sentences and not leaving space for anyone to breathe and what happened was my wife would end up in the corner over there quiet because she, she says, you guys have at it, but I'm not going to fight for air. Right. I get it. So she made herself smaller. Or, or she's just like, you, go, you know, have a nice time, guys, but I'm not playing. She just wasn't going to participate in it at all. But her family of origin, also her introverted personality, she's just, that's, she is not going to fight for space. And in her family, um, fighting for space turned out badly so so there was a double thing there so we've had to i let's say me (laughs) (laughs) i've had to slow down and work at creating space for her and and also we have to we just have learned that when our bigger family gets together um that uh, she goes i just know how it's going to go so relax, mm-hmm. you know, you guys have your good way. I'll just sit over here and be fine. She's not, yeah. she's not upset about it, but it's just she, she, her family dynamic can't really play with ours. And so right. she's, and she's not trying to change that. No. And nor should she. She just knows this is when they all get together. I'm going to be over here reading my true crime novel novel or whatever. Right. Whereas some family dynamics, they they want to kind of, it came in similar where it's like, you know, the in-law wants to get in there and duke it out with everybody, but she dukes it out or he dukes it out, you know, mean. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's just a style and a pattern that we learn from our family of origin that we unconsciously overlay on... Uh, situations in the future, particularly situations that have have to do with power and authority. Mm. And that could be a boss, that could be your family, that could be uh, police, that could be medical, you know, schools. You know, anytime there's a power and authority thing, the family origin pattern gets overlaid and, you know, you expect the school teacher to do it this way or the or the doctor to do it that way, or the boss to be this. Is there any changing that? 
like your reaction to these these are stressors basically is what i'm seeing like involvement with police or the kids teacher or whatever and then suddenly i'm back to being behaving the way i did in order to survive Right. Is there any changing that ever? Well, absolutely. What's what? What I'm trying to bring forward is that is that is that um, from my perspective, spiritually and psychologically, it's a rigged deck. These kinds of of processes are asking us to grow, asking us to mature. Now, some of us don't. But we're constantly being confronted with, am I going to meet this with my family story or am I going to write a new story? How does an average family or even one person, because I know I know so many people who really struggle having good relationships within their own families. And that spills out to a deeper problem with now they're the family of, that they're starting or that they're creating with their own children. How does an average person find a place in their own family of origin and be able to develop themselves and get past that if there is an ability to well you're using the term average family mm-hmm. and, I, and i would in my experience is average family usually includes some level of estrangement there's usually someone in every family mm-hmm. that is estranged and so let's let's be realistic when we're talking about the middle of the bell curve in terms of average families, um, that there's the average family has great difficulty, particularly in this day and age, where we, you know, don't, everybody doesn't live five miles from the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's great difficulty maintaining unity. And so often with families today, it's, it's, it's we have to choose to work with the willing, work with the ready, the ones that are ready, and create social proof that uh, health, maturity, and unity is possible. And some can't come along. And that has to be okay inside your family because we, I just want, I would want everybody to think about that. You know, the, the family where everybody loves and, and adores each other and likes family, likes Christmas and Sunday dinners, those are the outlier families. Those aren't the average families. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes I think we beat ourselves up or we think that we are, you know, we're not the Norman Rockwell, right? We don't go and everybody's happy-go-lucky. And even when we are together, a lot of times there's some, there's a little bit of strain on the relationships. You go there and you've kind of got this fake smile on your face and you're like, I just got to get through the next three hours of this yes. without causing any conflict so that everybody's happy. And that's sad. And that's hard, but it's also hard and it's probably real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear you say that we're all moving forward unless you're this, this one sibling, let's just say, isn't willing to. Do you find that a lot, that there's always one that doesn't want to evolve or progress along with the family because they're doing just fine? It, I would say it's, it's, it's more common than not. Really? And, and it's some of its, some of its family di- dynamics, some of its um, physiology, some of its uh, like depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, uh, some oftentimes what's in the way is some form of trauma that Mm. because the trauma is there, there's this wall that, that, you know, for that person, it's, it would be a luxury to talk about the quirks and gifts of everybody else in the family. I mean, they're not there because the world is painful. Mm. That's fascinating. Cause now I'm like going through I'm scanning through my family Rolodex (laughs) yeah and I don't uh, not just my family's not perfect in any way but um I know families that are close to me where one sibling has said I'm not doing that and they're gone you know and so it's like Mm -hmm. their relationship with their siblings didn't matter enough they couldn't as if 
what you're saying is accurate to this situation. The trauma that one sibling felt was greater than his or her need to have a relationship with his siblings. He'd rather just walk away. And and that walking away may have been the mood of matura the, the 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 step of maturation for that individual. What do you mean? Um, sometimes it's healthy to walk away from your family of origin. I wanted to bring that up. The typical advice to me when you have somebody in your life that is proving to be problematic or causing you pain is, well, they're family. We just have to deal with it. And John, you have given a good advice, which was in a nutshell, no, set your boundaries and it's okay. Mm-hmm. So. So get a little more specific, John, as to what Denise is saying as far as, well, crazy Uncle Bob is, you know, we can't deal with him, but he's Uncle Bob. So we just have to put up with it. And you're saying, no, you don't have to put up with it. Uh, Let's kind of line this up a little bit. Yeah. As... Generation one, whether you're divorced or you are have your partner with you and you're it's the original part, either one, whether you're with your second spouse or what have you, if the, if family unity or gathering is important, that generation has to name it, identify it, foster it and invite. Hmm. And. Rather than assume everybody wants that, newsflash, not everybody does. Mm-hmm. But there are times when many of the family really does want to do it, but they want uni- what, how they define unity is it a ho- there are multiple different um, definitions for that. And being able to free think and, you know, not wear your feelings on your sleeve and be creative together as family and, and not taking things personally and love to get around and love to go play together. That's really, and, and maybe you share, you know, uh, some spiritual religious practices together. That, that's great, but that's not everybody has that. Or um, one of the children marries somebody who's completely different. Mm-hmm. And, um, they just want to show up for Thanksgiving or Memorial Day. And that, but that the fact that one or a P or a few uh, don't share the same definition of unity and connectivity that, say, Generation One does, doesn't mean Generation One needs to lower their value structure, lower their desire, or, or to step away from creating opportunities for connectivity. Okay. I'm, our hamster wheels are moving. I'm trying to wrap my head around <laughs> the, some of this because it's all new to me. Denise is old hat yeah. at, at all of this. So yeah. she knows exactly what you're saying. I'm just, you know, I'm thinking of personal re- right. you know, relationships, people that I know. And I'm just, how do you, I guess I'm thinking too literal because I'm like, well, I guess we're just not going to invite weird Uncle Bob to Thanksgiving anymore. And that's not it. Just tell us what we're supposed to do. Yeah, everyone would like to have everything tied up and contained in a bow and predictable all the time. But that's not the world. Mm -hmm. And and the maturation process requires a... um, a I would say a resiliency within discovery a comfort in 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 discovering something new over and over again rather than saying okay i finished college therefore my life is set mm. not sure that's true uh, or i have a house i have the american dream probably not right and and so it's, it's so important to help either you're working with businesses, managers, executives, that this is a growing discovery. Uh, it's a dynamic process when, if you're dealing with people or teams and that it's always, it's always moving, 
But one of the constants is our value structure and our intention to communicate them. Do you feel in the years that you've been doing this, do you feel that people now are more self-aware and willing to put themselves in a position of growth? Or have you not seen a change? I mean, the answer is yes, no. Mm. Uh, um, the, the, you know, we, we could open a big can of worms here, but I, I think that, that, that uh, we're, as a culture throughout the world, but particularly in America, uh, because of social media and the phone, the phone that I carry in my pocket, um, that we are disabling generations of young people in terms of their ability to navigate their own internal motivations. Uh, meaning they had sort of don't have the tools to evolve as well? Right, because the, the Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever that is, those are all based upon immediate gratifications that someone else is mapping out for you. You're, you're giving up your life to a device, an algorithmic formula that will, you know, turn on you at some point. And, and when, you know, I mean, when I was younger, it was like, go out and play, go find something, but be home for dinner. No one knew where I was all day long, ever. And they were okay with that because we weren't afraid of what might happen outside all that time you were playing kick the can or hide and go seek or riding your bike down to the uh, but i didn't grow up in store. a da- i didn't grow up in a dangerous place i'm right. not sure what the dangerous families did right bad right. things happened so right. so but uh, on the other hand you can take the connectivity of these devices in the, in our world and you ha- it, it challenges us to really find me- meaning and connectivity and intimacy, uh, uh, we, we really have to push ourselves to force through the crisis that we meet in our lives. And so some people find, uh, you know, have met this with even greater resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a whole, what I hear from employers is the younger generation is impaired socially. Mm-hmm. Just the ability to communicate right and understand relationships i think it's fascinating because of the ultra awareness of our society we're so connected or we're so engulfed in making sure we know the right pronouns to use to make sure that we see people of every place and color be accepted and unified we have all of these virtues that are being signaled towards us as a society and yet on a whole as people what you're saying is that those same people because i think it's coming from a lot of the younger generation are not maturing in a way that's self-aware right we're connected to everyone but known by no one Mm -hmm. connected to everyone but known by no one our hamster wheels are moving. Yeah. There's smoke coming out of the ears. <laughs> it's that's slightly terrifying. It, right. it, you know, it is a little terrifying because you start thinking about the generations that will follow, that will be making um, decisions on our behalf, that will be the leaders of tomorrow. And the one thing, when you don't have awareness of self or of relationships with others, that's difficult. Well, if you will note, if you will remember, Denise, that when we get together at the family retreats, to we do we do the we do the business of family, and then we do the family business, but but we separate them out. But the I take great uh, attention to where are your devices, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and do we have competing things in the world in your business? Because it's like I can't just say turn them off until I until you until we can, but but. Because I know we're actually going to move into a more relational space, 
we have to get those devices away from us. They compete too much because we are we are conditioned by those things, the beeps, the this, the that, the buzz, the, you know. So we, one of the reasons we started this podcast is we felt like there was not a lot of people having conversations that we could relate to because all of it was so superficial out there. It's, you know, there's so much there just to wow people and the basics aren't being met. Right. So the intention has to be there in order for you guys to be met, I guess. So if I can kind of tie this all together, we've kind of wandered around. Right. We ended up in social media and we ended up in some other places, but it does come back to uh, family origin and the patterns that get put in place. So a lot of these things that we've just kind of, you know, mentioned uh, impact the patterns of family origin. And that is uh, what is um, more difficult in our culture today um, because the, the family patterning in terms of generational get-togethers has splintered because we're far away from each other. Mm-hmm. Everybody's spread, but, but we seem to talk FaceTime and that does okay. At the same time, and maybe this is another um, podcast, but there are no um, rituals in our culture that mark the changes from childhood to adulthood from, you know, um, uh, today's modern weddings ceremony doesn't do what it was originally designed to do, which was move things spiritually. Mm. Uh, I know some traditions have another uh, ceremony for marriage to do that work that sends the message you have left your family of origin and now you are charting a new course. And no one's saying that as directly. And so it just kind of happens by happenstance or they we just create crisis and decide not to invite Uncle Bob to Thanksgiving. Poor Uncle Bob. Um, so do you think that's really an important thing to, like you're using the example of a wedding, to sort of draw that line in the sand and say, you're leaving this life. And now you're going on to this life. Absolutely, without a doubt. Why? Um, because in order to embrace a new identity, a new sense of personal meaning, the old one has to die. Hmm. That seems, as someone who comes from a fairly close-knit family, that it strikes a little terror in my heart, okay, even as a, someone who's been married for decades, you know. What I'm talking about is psychological and spiritual death, not literal death. Mm-hmm. So it, if you're going to be a father, you can't be a little boy. Right. If you're going to be a mother, you can't be a little girl. And if you're going to be a grandmother, you can't be a mommy. Mm-hmm. And those are all those are all different self-esteems, images of self. Those are life transitions that require us to reevaluate who we see ourselves and let go of the old so that the new role that we must play can come forward. But I'll play devil's advocate here. I'll, I'll always be a daughter and I'll always be a mom even though I'm now going to be a grandma, let's just say. She's not, but I'm not. Yeah. Well, um, I I know that what I'm saying is a little disturbing, but, but, but my, (laughs) Anne's really having a hard time with that. I just, I just don't know how to do make that transition without losing something. Yes. And being, afraid that taking the next step is going to negate my previous life. Okay. Well, when we go from one step to the next, we do lose something mm-hmm. and that's good. I'll use an example of my daughter. You know, you know, when, when your daughter has a baby, there's something that changes in everybody. 
And her comment after that was, after she had a kid, and of course I had some great advice for her, right? <laughs> I'm betting she loved that. <laughs> yeah, and she looked at me and she says, Pop, your opinion matters. It just doesn't count. Ooh. Did that hurt as dad no, slash grandpa? I, c- I celebrate that because now it was a very clear statement of, look, I'm the mother here. I'm the parent here. You're not. Yeah. And uh, I think people spend a lifetime struggling with, oh, my, my mom won't stop giving me advice about being a mom. Right. So I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you say relating with one another adult to adult, I think that's where most people are struggling. I'm just putting you on the spot right now, but is there anything that people can start with, number one, to identify what's going on in their own family of origin? Like, is there a, a quick little test or some kind of questions they can ask themselves? And then what can they do to move that family of origin to a place where they can start really enjoying each other and and living in this the best that they could possibly do? The most important place uh, to turn towards is relationships of trust. For me to, because the first place to to unpack my own family of origin patterns I have to do with myself but it's hard to do it with myself I need someone else and I'm not saying everybody needs to go to psychotherapy I'm saying everyone needs to be known by someone and 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 if you're if you have a spouse that's the place you know if you can be known inside that primary relationship that begins to build that um But what's also important for everyone to realize is, back to what I said earlier, is anytime you encounter relationships or situations where authority or power occur, your family of origin issues begin to emerge. And the first place that happens is in school. Mm -hmm. The next is at your job. And then the next is in your own marriage. And so what can people do is the the main thing is, do I have a friend who I can actually talk about, you know, what I struggle with when I have to deal with authority or power issues in myself or someone else that that's where the, the, those are the pathways in to discovery. As you're saying this, I'm thinking as women, if we come to each other with an issue, say from work, you know, oh, my boss is just such a blood of blood and I have such problems with him or her or whatever. Um, I think as women, we tend to stroke each other and just go, you're right. He's a total douchebag. I understand. <laughs> Rather than saying, well, what do you think you can do to fix that? Or a better question is, what does this situation remind you of? Okay. That's what I was looking for is just something I could use. You know, like what am I supposed to say <laughs> to my friend? To her, when Denise comes to her and has these issues, she wants to know how to respond. <laughs> she comes to me and says, I've got this horrible co-host that I'm podcasting with and I don't know what to do about her. Um, what's your suggestion? My suggestion is to, what does this remind you? What is this feeling experience? Have you ever had this experience before? Or go straight to it. When this happened in your family home, what was that like? Because you just have to presume that whatever issue they're having is probably stemming from an experience they had with their family of origin. Not most likely. A hundred percent. You can say it with a surety. I mean, you're that sure. Absolutely. When you're dealing with authority and power, real or imagined, your family dynamics are like a squid on your face. Interesting. So interesting. I'm not ready to move on from this. I want to think about this for a while. Well, it's 
just one of those things that is a work in progress. And I think that's the key for everybody is that this isn't just a one event situation. This is a constant work in progress. We, we never get to the promised land. We're always arriving. That's right. John, one of the things that we ask, and I'm going to put you on the spot, and you might need to look this up, but can you give us your poetry as, as the last part of what we're going to talk about today as your takeaway gift? Sure. Well, this is a poem from Miriam Williamson. Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be talented, fabulous, gorgeous? Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking back so that other people will feel insecure around you. You were born to make manifest the glory of God. And it's not just in some of us. But everyone. And as you let your own light shine, you unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And as you are liberated from your fears, your presence automatically liberates others. With that, we will say thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. John Cunningham, it was an honor to have you on, and we look forward to talking to you again here on Two Average Girls. In the meantime, rate, review, and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure and comment on whatever we've posted. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're Two Average Girls. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 